This morning's reading is taken from Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offering, offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. For the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. This is God's word. All right, good morning. I'm going to move through. We're moving through Romans. We're up to chapter 4, end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4. If you haven't been with us, the book of Romans is Paul's letter to a group he'd never met yeah, the church that was gathering together in Rome, Jews and Gentiles alike were gathering together. Paul was introducing himself. He wanted to go there. He wanted to make a springboard to share the gospel in Spain and other places. And he wanted that church in Rome to be able to understand who he was. His reputation had preceded him, but that wasn't always good in Paul's case. Some people didn't like Paul, and he wanted them to know what he believed. And so this is a very... Uh, Probably his fullest account of his uh, Paul's belief and doctrine. And so we get an insight into how he saw things. We've been looking at, uh, so far in our first couple of weeks, we've been looking at the way Paul defined the gospel as the power of God to salvation, the good news about Jesus Christ. And then he went to these couple of chapters on the wrath of God. He took this turn to say, you know, every person is lost. Every person, Jew, Gentile alike, everyone's lost. There's not varying degrees of lostness. Every human being on the earth is without God. And as a matter of fact, is corrupted by sin so they can't even seek God. They're not even able to find God on their own. But Jesus came to make a way. So that's kind of where we are in summation for uh, for where we've come up. So so what he's going to do here in the end of chapter 3, we've turned away from the wrath of God, and he's going to say, so how are you made right with God? So let's just pause there for just a second. How would you say, think about, 
How would people say they are made right with God? Assume for a minute there is a God. Maybe you don't believe that, but assume there is. How would you, would you think people come into right relationship with him? What, what do you think if you just ask somebody on the street? How, how do I, we can phrase it a lot of different ways. It used to be phrased, if you died tonight, how would I get into heaven? That right? If people who are right go to heaven, what, what does it take? And so this question for, for Paul's own tribe and what he was writing for the Jews, Paul was a Jew. What would Jews say? Well, he kind of goes into that in here and he says, well, Paul says, look, simply being Jewish isn't enough because they were God's chosen people for sure. But he said, just because you were born into a Jewish family and just because you were given the law, the truth about God, it's not enough. You can't get you don't get into heaven that way. And even obedience to those commands isn't enough. Okay. Wow. Let there be light. <laughs> Genesis 1, 3. Thank you. So what's the advantage? And, you know, even today, this is Rosh Hashanah. The, the new year was last week uh, for in Jewish holiday. And you may think that it's just kind of like our new year where you, and they do celebrate and, you know, celebrate the new year. But religiously for the Jew, even now, if you don't know, Rosh Hashanah is a time where they say the books are opened and there's three categories of people. The righteous who will go into heaven, the unrighteous, the wicked, they say, will go into hell. And then there's a third category of person that's kind of called the intermediate. And you've got 10 days until Yom Kippur, which is, I think, like Wednesday or Thursday this week. And you've got 10 days until the Day of Atonement to figure out, reflect, repent, become righteous by turning to God. But what happens is every year, right, the Jews are going back. They're still searching for an ultimate answer to that question. So Paul's saying these things aren't enough. What would our people say? I think most people, if I asked, if you drill down, would say um, some version of you do the best you can, right? Be a good person. Um, Do the right thing. Of course, everybody's, you know, nobody's perfect. Everybody's human. So, and that kind of makes sense, right? So that good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That kind of is intuitively what we would think. Paul says, eh, that's not the gospel. Why? Because if you go back, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, he says, in the holiness of God, there's no one righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Later, he's going to say, and and the wages of that is death. So the morality part is out. So what what else might you say? Well, some say, well, okay, so religion is the answer. And I've heard people say this. Well, I've been baptized. Um, I've done my religious duty. Maybe I've gone to church. Um, Maybe I've walked an aisle or I've said a prayer. So so I'm in. Paul says, eh, religious duty. Not enough. As a matter of fact, none of those things. What would you say? What would you say if you're a Living Hope member or you're a CCA student or you're Republican or a Democrat? What would you say is makes you just? What makes you right with God? Is it obedience to the platform? Subscribing to the creed of whatever organization you subscribe to? What is it? Paul says it's none of these things. It's way harder and way easier than any of those things. It's one simple thing makes you right with God. 
So preacher from the last century, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher in London, and he says, it is these two simple words, some of the best in the whole Bible, but now. It's four times in the Bible, and this is one of them coming here. He says, but now is some of the great words. And here's where he's pointing to. He says in the end of chapter 3, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, that's, think of the righteousness of God as being right with God, being in good relationship with Him. That's been manifested or made known, it's been, we've made aware of it, apart from the law. That is apart from doing anything. Apart from doing the right thing. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So they point to this. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All right. So we get back again to this thing, this, this slippery thing of faith and belief. Same, same concept. Faith or belief. We're going to talk more about this. We talked about this last week pretty extensively, but I'm going to talk about this. Paul begins by answering the objection everybody has. I'm, you know, you, you might have it. So you're telling me I can do every wicked thing on the earth, simply believe and accept some propositional truth about Jesus, and I'm an insider. I'm accepted. I, you know, get, get everything. So I can act any way I want, but if I just believe something, I'm in. And Paul says, well, hold on. Au contraire. It's not quite that simple or hard. The law is a good thing, the, the, to know right and wrong, to know what it is. Why is it a good thing? It gives us boundaries. It points us to what real life looks like. It's a yardstick to measure what truth is. And as our world gets fuzzier and fuzzier on what's right, wrong, truth, it keeps us grounded in that. But he says it's not the way to get right with God. So he says, let's go back and look at Abraham. So if you've got your Bible, look at Romans 4, verse 3. What does the Scripture say? How did Abraham get right with God? Abraham's before the law, hundreds of years before the law. He didn't have the law. But it says, Abraham, he's quoting here from Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That word counted is going to show up a dozen times in this chapter. Paul loved this word. Logizomai is a word. It's an accounting word. It means to to uh, compute, to calculate. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about imputing to give. So not the best example, but it is one that came in my mail yesterday, so I'll give it. I know this is not a perfect analogy, so you can, uh, we, we'll, but this is, this will get the idea. I got this note in the mail. So we got this, uh, state of Virginia tax department. You know, you, maybe you got one too. Of course, I'm always gulping when I get a state of, you know, any tax thing, because I'm like, oh, what didn't we pay? And it says, you are receiving this money. Because the 2022 Virginia General Assembly decided to give you some of your own money back. No, not really. It says it passed a law. That's why it's a bad example. Passed a law giving taxpayers who filed in year 2021 a rebate of $250 per individual. It got it. You know what I did? Woohoo! 
It was credited to my account. It says this has been credited. It was just directly showed up in my account, right? Credited to my account. That's bad. I know it's not a perfect analogy, but, but just take this for a minute. I didn't do anything except file in 2021. I didn't do anything. I just, it just came to me. Here is the essence of Christianity. You are right with God if you believe that God's telling the truth, that he's real and he's telling the truth. And you agree with that and you believe that. And you know you believe it because it will transform your life. That's the simplest I can make it, I think. So let's let's look at what that meant for Abraham, because again, it's the simplest and hardest thing that you'll do. So what does belief look like in Abraham's life? So first thing we got to remember is Abraham already had left behind this other country, and at, and at the prompting of God's spirit, he'd walked into a land that he didn't know because God just told him, go. And when he got there, God gave him this promise. He somehow perceived that God had said to him, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to have uh, children. And he, at this point, was an old man beyond the childbearing age. And he said, you're going to bless the whole world through this. It's going to be blessed. So this, this guy, this ancient guy in about you know, 2000 B.C. is just getting this. And he's like, okay, I'm an old man just in this faraway country that I don't even know in a wilderness. Basically, I don't know. So what do I do with this? And as Paul recounts this, go to verse 19. I'll, I'll jump back one verse, verse 18. We'll get a running start. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. That's what we find in chapter 12. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. The first thing belief does, real faith does, is it sees God and his word as bigger and as more true than what you perceive and your certain the circumstances that are in front of you. Now I know that seems can seem so counterintuitive. Because you say, well, it just can't happen. I mean, stuff like that just doesn't happen. And faith says, I believe in a God who makes stuff happen even when I can't see it or perceive it. That's biblical faith. And you know when it becomes apparent whether you believe God or not? This is my observation. I won't give you a scripture reference to this. Is when there's crisis. When something happens and it's not the way you think it should be. Then you'll find out where your faith is. I remember sitting with a young couple and they were going through a relational crisis. And I said something to the effect of, you know, why don't we kind of pray and ask God to help help us this? And I remember her just knee-jerk response was, this is a real problem. I need real answers, not just prayer. And what said to me was, okay, we have two categories here. We have the religious stuff, 
when things are fine. But I'm in real crisis and I need real help. Not this, don't give me this God stuff. See? We're not looking at faith that transforms at that point. We're looking at, I get right with God through religious duty or I get right with God somewhere else. If God, if your faith does not matter to you in a time of crisis, if it doesn't become hopefully more important, then we have to question, where is our faith? As we're going through, you know, as I go through, I'm not in a hundred, but I definitely feel the barrenness of Abraham's plight. I definitely see in my body the signs of aging, right? I, I, I watch it all the time happening. And I think, well, if I just turn away and say, well, let's get real. I need to get like real help for my aging problems. Let, you know, let me take this supplement or my wife will tell me all about the supplements I should be taking. And uh, let me take, let me do this exercise or this. It's all good stuff. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But that's not the real issue, is it? The real issue is I'm mortal. The real issue is I, I'm not in my physical body eternal. And we all fight that. And then there's something within us that would say, okay, if God is real, if this is all true, then it's also true that when I shed this mortal body, I'm looking at something far, as we sang this morning, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God's prepared, and it changes my perspective. That's what was happening with Abraham, but for him it was a promise of earth of, I'm going to give you a descendant, I'm going to give you a child at a time when your body is good as dead, and he says, I don't feel that way, and it doesn't seem that way. Can I tell you that if, if you always felt your faith, it isn't faith. <laughs> Faith and feelings will, by definition, diverge, and you will not feel it. And the question is, which are you going to believe? Number two, let's go what else we learn about what belief looks like from his example. Because Abraham for Paul is a test case of faith. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Why? Because Abraham was such a great guy? He was not that great a guy. This is a guy who's going to throw his wife under the bus twice, right? Saying, oh, she's just my sister. Don't kill me. Wasn't like he was a paragon of virtue, all right? He was a, he was a man of faith for sure, but he was just like you and me. Sometimes really faithful and sometimes a jerk, just like me. And just like you, probably. So here it goes, 421. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So in verse 20, he gave glory to God, and he was fully convinced God was able to do what he had promised. Remember, Abraham in the initially wasn't saying, God, please give me a son, please give me a son. That was not Abraham's plan. He was a realist. He couldn't have a son. What did he say? Eleazar, my servant, will be the heir to my house. It was God's idea to give him a son in his old age. So it wasn't like he was trying to twist God's arm to get a son. I mean, frankly, I love babies, but, you know, even at 63, I'm not sure I want one around the house, right? So grandchildren, yeah, it's a different story. But you can give them back. So, But you know what? He said, God... I don't feel it, I don't see it, but I believe you are able to do what you had promised. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe God's able to do what he's promised? I don't know what your issues are. I don't know what you are distressed about. Everybody's got anxieties and it's a human condition, fear, worry, all that stuff. But as Christians, if you're a Christian, then transformative faith says, I see the God who makes promises and is a promise keeper. He calls into existence, going back to verse 17, things that are not. From the very beginning, let there be light. He's joking about that when the lights come on. Only God looks at the sky and says, I'm going to create the heavens and the earth. Let there be light. Let there be darkness. Let there be this. Let there be that. He calls into existence. So here's the deal is in your life, there are things that are not in existence right now that you probably wish were. And I think about your character, not so much changing your circumstances and getting. I mean, I can wish into existence that the Virginia government would give me, you know, twenty five hundred bucks instead of two fifty. It's not what we're talking about because that stuff doesn't really matter. But when you say, God, I don't know how I'm going to keep from falling off the rails, from taking another drink, or from looking at something I shouldn't be looking at, or from loving someone who's completely unlovable. I don't know. I don't have it within me, God. But Lord, I think you're a God big enough to call into existence something that I don't have. So would you put your spirit, would you write your spirit within me? Would you do something within me to change Maybe not my circumstances. Maybe God's best for you is that your circumstances do not change, but that you become different as a result of being his. You say, well, that's all fine for Abraham. I mean, he he got credited in his account being right with God because he said, God, I think you're telling the truth. I think I'll have a son. Now, along the way, he had an Ishmael. 25 years, a long time to wait. I'm sympathetic. But God ultimately did what he said he was going to do. Your timing may not be God's timing. But God is a keeper of his promises. Here's what he says, and I'm going to close with this, because he says, okay, verse 23 of, again, of Romans chapter 4. See, after saying his faith was counted to him as righteousness, as being right in right relationship with God. But the words, it says, it was counted to him, that logizomai that he loves so much, that he loves that word. It was counted to him, wasn't just written for his sake, wasn't just written for Abraham. It was written for Lydia Bryson. It was written for Janelle Head. It was written for you. Put your name in here. It was written for you. Pay attention. It was written for you. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Who what? Promised a son in your old age? That's pretty unbelievable. Fred, Connie, are you going to have a child soon? God hasn't promised that, but here's what he has promised. <laughs> They're the oldest people here, so, you know, (laughs) picking on them. But you know what he has promised? He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you think it's harder to believe that a dead person came back to life or that an old person had a baby? They're both hard. Your challenge is just like Abraham and Sarah's, to believe what 
to the human mind seems like, come on, that's metaphor. If it's metaphor, guys, we're all sunk. If, if raising Jesus from the dead is a picture of, well, spring will follow winter and, you know, the renewal of all things. No, a dead person started breathing again. That is the gospel that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if he came back to life, so will you. And so will the world be renewed. So Paul's, that's Paul's argument. That's what Paul's saying. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord and was delivered up for your sins and raised for your justification. That's another word for being right with God, to be justified. So that's our challenge. Do you believe it? If you believe it, it will transform your life. If it's, if, if it doesn't really matter and you see no change, I want to challenge you to go back and ask what's happening. Why am I just intellectually saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's fine. It will change your life. Now, is it a, is it a smooth curve? No, there's ups and downs. We're human, but it, but the Spirit of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to, to uh, split soul and spirit. It will take you and transform you into a new person. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that so accessible is it. We don't have to go through the great machinations of, of keeping rules and of practicing festivals and of being moral and then figuring out that we're not all that. Lord, we don't have to do any of that to be in right standing. We just have to believe that you're a truth teller and come into relationship with you that does transform us. Lord, I ask for anyone here who is not sensing that they have believed you, that they're still depending on themselves. Lord, I ask that they would surrender, that they would turn from depending on themselves and depend on you. Lord, I ask that they would believe in you. I ask for every one of us to be challenged to believe Lord, if this is the day that you have made, Lord, then we believe that you are. And Lord, if we believe that you are good, whether there's rain or sun, Lord, then we believe that you have the power to keep your promise. Whether it's something small or whether it's giving people in barrenness a child, or whether the greatest gift of all, raising Jesus Christ from the dead on our behalf and conquering sin. Lord, help this message to totally revolutionize us as we continue to grasp what is so difficult for the human mind. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If this is something you're pondering, please talk to me, talk to someone. If this is something that you're not sure of, that you don't know whether you believe or not, wrestle this one to the ground. It's the most important decision you'll make. Let's stand together as we close in worship.